Hey folks, Brian here. I just want to thank you guys for listening and also contributing to the show in your various ways, whether it be through emails or likes and follows or reviews or in some cases uh, monetary donations. I want to thank each and every one of you. You guys are the inspiration for me keeping this going. So let's keep right on rolling into 2021. Later. episode number 35 of the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. Uh, Let's see, when last we left off, which was right at the beginning of the new year, I think, about three weeks ago, uh, let's see, um, I had put in my notice at work, but I had to call in for uh, a a Friday, uh, last week as a matter of fact. Um, basically, I woke up with a severe headache and severe nausea, and there was no way I could actually get it together and go to work. I texted my boss, I texted my managers, and because I was already on short time, my manager just said, forget it. Or not my manager, my boss said, just forget it. You know, we're going to end this right now rather than go through this for another four days, which is when my last day was. It was the the this Wednesday past, as a matter of fact, the 27th, or excuse me, the 28th, and um, so yeah, I was out of a job, and I've been home for the last week. On the bright side, um, I completed uh, everything for my job. Um, my online orientation starts Monday, and then on Tuesday, I go in for more paperwork and training. And then Wednesday through Friday, I ride with somebody uh, to do the route. And then I think the following Monday, I'll be on my own. It shouldn't be too much of a problem. Um, I've been doing medical courier work for a year and a half to this point, almost two years, as a matter of fact. And now. Um, I'm at, at a job where I get to do the exact same thing that I was doing beforehand, uh, except now I'm getting paid more to do it. Um, still trying to finalize getting a car. Um, there was a car on Carvana that I wanted, but they are taking a very long time getting that thing fully inspected and possibly repaired. So I'm... Now exploring my options and seeing if there's something else I can get because I'm going to need a car to get to and from work even though this place is only about a mile from my house. I don't feel like walking to and from the place in dead of winter for the next couple of months so I'm just trying to get it all together. Um, With my uh, previous job I was able to take a car home and that enabled me to do my home care and also to do grocery shopping. And with that being done, I've been having to take the bus to and from to do home care. The good thing is, is that um, my client is on, it was right on a bus line. So I basically have to just take two buses to get there and to get home. It only takes about an hour, hour and a half tops, but still it's one of those things. And I also got a um, flu shot, which was mandatory for my job. And um, (laughs) that knocked me on my butt for like the last two days, ever since I got it on uh, Wednesday. Um, Or excuse me, uh, ever since I got it on Thursday, I've been knocked out. 
it's been not very good. So I haven't been having the energy or wherewithal to do very much. I mean, gaming-wise, I've just been playing Elite Dangerous and Star Trek Online, and that's been pretty much it. Um, I did see on Facebook that my favorite arcade, the arcade in Brighton, is raising their prices, which is understandable because, you know, they were out of business for the better part of six months. Um, So, yeah, I think they're trying to recoup some of the losses that they've had. I mean, better this than them shutting their doors permanently. And um, um, Pinball Pizza is still open and operating. Um, As of right now, in regard to um, restrictions and so forth, the only thing that uh, the governor has not uh, fully opened, and she's, at last I looked, she was talking about uh, reopening that, was uh, sit-down dining. That's the only thing now. Um, You know, vaccinations are slowly being rolled out. Um, with my new job, it's an optional thing right now, but after a while, I think it will become mandatory, um, and we'll see about that. I'll probably end up getting it just because, you know, with my, um, with my job, and I think I'll be actually going to hospitals as well as clinics, um, I will have to probably get that vaccine, and I'll just get it, and we'll go from there. Um... Let's see, I did check my emails and everything else, Um, nothing out there right now, so once again, um, if you have any thoughts, questions, ideas, uh, games you want me to talk about or cover, um, anything of that nature, just get a hold of me, arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. Also, um, I have a phone number for voicemails, that number is 734-743-743. 2433. Also, social media is still ongoing as we speak. Um, I am on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. On Facebook, just do a search for Confessions of an Arcade Addict. It'll take you right to the page. There is a discussion group that goes along with it. Um, Your participation would be highly appreciated. Um, On Twitter, my handle is arcadeaddict underscore B. Instagram is at arcadeaddictbrian, and Tumblr is uh, tumblr.com slash blog slash confessions of an arcade addict. So there are, of course, various ways to get a hold of the show if you're so inclined, and please do so. Because, you know, like I said, it gets a little lonely just, you know, talking out here and not having a lot of interaction to go along with it. Uh, So anyway, let's get right on to the show. This is a rather personal, uh, or at least the first part of it is, this is a rather personal uh, episode to this podcast, one that I was really not looking forward to doing, and you'll understand why. Let's go into story time. Our bodies are given life in the midst of nothingness. Existing where there is nothing is the meaning of the phrase, form is emptiness. That all things are provided for by nothingness is the meaning of the phrase, emptiness is form. One should not think that these are two separate things. Story time, the dark side of arcade addiction. I realized when I first uh, was putting together topics about this, you know, about my experiences with video games starting at an early age, uh, all winding up all the way through the present day where I'm now 52 years old, you know, um, I knew I was going to have to cover everything, meaning the good times, the bad times, and, you know, everything in between. And so, I mean, I was dreading this one. (laughs) I mean, I wrote the outline for this probably about a year ago, and it was really hard to go back through my memories and go back into all the things that I did and some of the things that happened to me because I was such an arcade junkie. And, you know, I'm not going to go into really deep detail because that's just too 
revealing and too humiliating to me personally. And, but I will tell you that, yeah, as much as I enjoyed my times at the arcade and the people I've gotten to know and the friendships that I have, de I have developed through the years, there's a dark side to this, for sure. I won't play the victim and say that video games led me down a wrong path, but yeah, I became addicted to video games pretty quickly. I want to say it really started when I was probably about 10 or 11 years old and it just just kept going from there. My need to play just one more game led me to do things that I wasn't proud of and I'm embarrassed to be revealing it to you now. I mean, I lied to family members, friends, you know, complete strangers, you know, anything that could get me to the arcade, which is where I wanted to be more than any other place on the planet. <laughs> and that's how it was when I was probably about 11 and it really started uh, going down, uh, going downhill from there. Um, I constantly would sneak out of my house um, most, most often when I was grounded, you know, because I just didn't want to spend all my time in the house and I wanted to go to the mall. I wanted to go to Spanky's, you know. I wanted to see if I could, you know, get a hold of Mark and see if he was going to Milford Rec later on in the evening and things like that. Um, you know, on those days that when I would just sneak out of the house uh, when I was grounded, I would just go to the mall, spend all day there from open to close, um, and things like that. And even on the normal days, quote unquote, you know, like during the summer, that's more of a normal day because, well, I'll talk about it later. Um, on those days where I would go to the mall at nine o'clock in the morning and just walk the mall with the, uh, older people until the store started to open at 10 o'clock and especially the arcade, um, and I would spend literally all day at the mall from 9 o'clock in the morning to probably about 9.30 at night if I didn't, you know, call it a day early and head home and just, you know, sort of make my way down Main Street and, you know, um, I would stop at Bolarama to rest, especially during the summertime, and I would get, you know, get water from the water fountain, and I would just sit down there and rest for about, you know, 15 minutes before I would make my way home uh, from there, which I think, um, uh, Bolarama, I think, was about a third of the way uh, from the mall to my house, or if in reverse, two-thirds of the way to the mall from my house. Um... But yeah, I mean that's what I would that's what I would do. And on those times where I would spend all day at the mall literally and my legs and feet were too sore to make the make the walk home, I would hitchhike. And I remember being at the uh entrance/exit to Trumbull Mall right there on the corner of the entrance to the mall in Main Street and just, you know, got the thumb out and everything like that. And, I mean, I was lucky. <laughs> I was very lucky. I constantly put myself in danger, even though I didn't think I w did so at the time. Um, God only knows, I was a notorious shoplifter at the mall. I mean, I'm not proud of this, but, yeah, I didn't get caught very often. And usually, you know, I would just work it out and, you know, not work it out, but I would just you know, stay away from the mall for like, you know, a month, maybe two months, and then just go to other places like Spanky's and stuff, and just, you know, I would sort of worm my way back in there, and then I'd behave myself for a while, but I mean, yeah, the Liggett's, uh, not the, um, Rexall Drugstore, the Woolworths, um, couple of other places in the mall I would constantly shoplift from. I mean, especially it would be more uh, foodstuffs, more more often candy than anything else. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, I would do that all the time. Um, you know, I stole from almost everybody that I knew. You know, immediate family, 
uh, distant family, friends, friends of friends of the family, complete strangers, you name it. You know, like I said, I started skipping school as early as fifth grade. There were underlying reasons for the for my motivation to do that, but you know, I'm not going to get into it because that's another embarrassing aspect to my life back then. But yeah, when I skipped school and I wasn't legitimately sick. 99 times out of 100, I would go either go to the mall or go to Spanky's. That's just what I would do. And this just continued all the way through to when I finally quit high school in 1985. Um, the majority of money that was given to me or I had earned when I was a kid going into my teen years, most of it, I'd say probably about 75% of it went down the coin slots. And that's just how it was. <laughs> um... I have memories of when I was seven years old, when I was living on the east end of Bridgeport uh, at my stepfather's place, um, just hanging out at the dip and sip all the time, and I would try to panhandle for quarters and things like that. I mean, I'm I'm lucky I didn't get my get my dumbass kidnapped or beaten up or worse, you know, because that was a really rough area. Um, my need and desire to learn this or that game led me to be pretty socially awkward and I was a shy and quiet kid to begin with you know when I start when the teen when my teenage years started in 1984 or yeah excuse me not 1984 excuse me um 1982 when I turned 13 Oh, I'm sorry, 1981, I'm sorry, 81, when I turned 13. And, of course, when you 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 already notice girls, especially growing up in my neighborhood, because we were, we just were physically advanced, even though we weren't emotionally advanced, let's put it that way. You know, we had an interest in the opposite sex at early ages. Um, but yeah, I was a shy and quiet kid. I was awkward. And of course, you know, with the advent of hip hop in the early eighties in my hometown, you know, all of a sudden you had to have everything, you know, you had to have everything, you know, you know, going right for you. Like when you're like 16 years old, you had, you know, you had to have money, you had to have a car, you had to be smooth, you had to be able to talk, you know, be able to talk to a girl and really schmooze with her. And I was none of those things. <laughs> That's just true. Um, you know, my addiction to video games was so strong. I mean, that was just so strong. It was. If it wasn't video games, it was Dungeons and Dragons or comic books, like I've said in previous episodes. Those were my main obsessions through my teenage years. And, you know, but the my desire for video games and hanging out at arcades was the leader by far. That's where the majority of any money I got went into, like I already said. And... You know, because of it, I was made of, made fun of, or I was looked down upon by people. You know, you know, members of my own family, and you know, my uncles were constantly trying to get me to straighten up and fly right, so to speak. And you know, I just wouldn't listen. It would go in one ear out the other, and as soon as they were done talking to me, I would just, you know, separate myself from them, and I would just go and do my own thing and I didn't care um that's just how it was um a lot of the kids who I grew up with um and a lot of the a lot of the kids that were my contemporaries uh who were regulars in the arcade they would constantly harass me you know me being a, an emotionally sensitive kid d didn't take much to upset me back in those days um you know they, I mean, and of course they they wouldn't even say anything to me if they didn't have their friends around. It was like that, you know. I mean, it's you know, and that's why I knew. That's how I knew there was a racial motivation to it, because you know, if they see me by themselves, they don't say a word to me. But yeah, as soon as they've got two or three of their friends around, then they start flapping their gums. 
um, that culminated with them giving me my arcade nickname, which stuck for years until I grew up enough to say, well, the only people who, the only person who can make me miserable about the, miserable about the situation is myself. And if I allow these people that power over me, then I deserve what I get, don't I? And I finally just, you know, you know, got them to stop calling me that. You know, unfortunately, it took until I was probably about 16, 15 or 16 before they stopped. But, you know, yeah, I had that, I had that nickname for a good, oh, what, three, four years, maybe even as many as five. But, yeah, that's just how it was. Um, my point of all this is that this wasn't all fun in games when it came to video games and arcades. You know, I had good times to be sure, sometimes even great times, but there was, there were not some, there were some not so good times as well. Um, there was a time or two in my childhood and teenagers that, you know, someone was looking out for me because there were a couple of situations where, you know, there was a really good chance I would not make it home uh, unharmed or, uh, or anything like that. Um, there's one incident in particular where I hitchhiked home from the midway and, you know, this guy picked me up and he, you know, as we're driving back, he's talking to me and I kind of started getting that feeling that he had a rather unnatural interest in me. And when we got to my neighborhood, I had him let me off. Uh, uh, like a block and a half from my house or something like that. I basically said, this is my house, even though the, it wasn't my house. And I got out of his car. He basically offered to offer me 20 bucks to, you know, continue going with him. And at that point I knew what he wanted. I did everything I could to get out of that situation, you know, and once I, he pulled up to the house and, you know, I said, you know, I thanked him for the ride and everything. And, you know, he pulled off and he, when he drove off down the street, I ran home <laughs> and I did not hitchhike for quite some time after that. <laughs> yeah. But it's stuff like that. You know, that's what my desire for video games was leading me to. It was leading me down a wrong path and it took me a long time to kind of get my video game Jones under a semblance of control and it's one of those things where I had to realize that you know I am just not doing the right things for myself here and because I'm not doing these things I'm I'm going I'm getting myself into trouble so yeah I kind of put a little bit of a kibosh on it you know but then again there was the binge of 1982 which I already spoke about, you know, which is one of the most, one of the more embarrassing uh, times of my life because, you know, I had more or less a video gaming blackout where I just dumped a whole bunch of money down the coin slots and I didn't realize I did it until I got home, uh, got home later that night and then I went and did it the, again the next day. <laughs> you know, things like that, um, but, you know, I was lucky, I didn't, the, the bad things that could have befell me didn't, you know, someone was looking out for me, but, because I certainly wasn't looking out for myself past a certain point, so, but I made it through okay, um, through the years, I've seen the results of video gaming addiction, uh, in the news, you know, especially with the MMORPGs like EverQuest and Warcraft back in like the late 90s, early 2000s, and you know how people people's marriages were dissolving over this game, and you know, it's just people, you know, it, child, cases of child neglect and things like that. It was crazy. I couldn't believe it. You know, even though. I did some things, you know, to feed my arcade Jones back in the day, you know, I couldn't even imagine being that, being, that was a whole new level of addiction to me that you could, 
you know, basically destroy your relationship with another person that you've, you know, made certain vows to, or, you know, neglecting taking care of your child. I could never in a thousand years, you know, now that I'm a father and I've been a father for six years, you know, I could never see myself being that kind of person to where I would completely neglect this young, this young child who's looking to me for, you know, food, clothing, a place to live, you know, love and support and all of those things. And I can't imagine neglecting all that just because you're going on, you're going on a going on a raid for like the fourth time in the in the last two hours or something like that you know just to get the epic level items or you know getting your character up to maximum level or anything like that you know that's where I think I knew that I kind of outgrew my video game addiction as much as I love video games now and I still get you know get a little thrill going through me when I go into an arcade especially one that I haven't been to before you know I mean I already know that <laughs> it, when I go to Chicago once this whole COVID thing is under control you know I'm going to probably do a little bit of regression but you know I do know my limits you know I'm a full-grown adult I've got a child who's looking up to me and who's always looking you know who's always needing who's in need of support from me constantly and you know I'm not going to fail him or let him down that's how I know that you know I've got a handle on my video game addiction you know but hey um when I was reading the when I was reading these stories in you know like the 90s and 2000s you know by that time I was fully aware of my addictive tendencies and I knew to stay away from those games and I actually did I mean um my friend Robert had uh he was an early adopter of World of Warcraft if I'm not mistaken and um when I went over his house in 2001 you know and I just sat with him for you know the better part of a day while you know he played um you know while he played Warcraft and stuff like that you know you know I knew <laughs> it wasn't for me you know it just wasn't there I mean I was more happy with action RPGs like um Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance and things like that where it was like um a platforming game a 3D platforming game with uh Dungeons and Dragons woven into it. That's what I, that was my jam, but either way. Um, but yeah, I know where my priorities are. <laughs> I couldn't say that when I was like, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old. You know, you could ask anybody who knew me back then, they could, they would tell you. But, you know, that's how it was. <sighs> okay. <laughs> you know, now that I've got that off my chest. Um, I'm going to immediately pivot into Are You Experienced? I'm too old for this. Hiding in front seats like a teenager. Oh, but I think I'm getting too old for this stuff. I'm getting too old for this. Listen, you was born too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. Lying red arse to my heather chasing other men's cattle. I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. Maybe we're getting too old for this. What do you think, huh? I'm not too old for this shit. I'm not too old for this. You will not. We're not too old for this shit. We're, We're not, not too old, old for this shit. We're not, We're not too, too old for this shit. like you believe. We're, We're not too old for this shit. We're yeah. not too old for I'm this shit. I'm not gonna buy a hemorrhoid cushion. We're not too old for this shit. Are you experienced? WWF WrestleFest. <laughs> this is one of my all-time favorite wrestling games. Just like its sequel, um, or like its prequel, uh, WWF Superstars. But let's get right into it, shall we? Uh, getting right onto Wikipedia. Okay, WWF WrestleFest is a professional wrestling arcade game released by Technos in 1991, featuring stars from the World Wrestling Federation. The game was distributed by Technos in Japan and North America, and by Tecmo in Europe and Australasia. 
It is the sequel to Technos' previous WWF game, WWF Superstars. Compared to Superstars, WrestleFest adds a variety of different wrestlers to the roster, as well as enhanced graphics and sound. There are more voice samples, including commentary and pre-match introductions by WWF ring announcer Mike McGurk. Uh, the voice cutscenes featuring Gene Okerlund for Superstars returned as well. In February 2012, THQ released a remake of the game for iOS featuring both current and former wrestlers retitled WWE WrestleFest. Uh, let's see, the gameplay. Just like its predecessor, WrestleFest simulates professional wrestling matches. The game adds support for up to four simultaneous players and the ability to insert more credits into the machine to buy energy. Two modes of play are available. In the new Royal Rumble mode, the player picks one superstar and takes him through a Royal Rumble match. In Saturday Night's Main Event mode, the player must pick two wrestlers to form a tag team and take them through a series of matches, including a title match with the Legion of Doom. In this mode, the player can perform numerous double-team moves. Uh, additionally, after a, mem after a team member has been on the apron for a certain length of time, they will power up, temporarily giving them the ability to win all grapples and inflict more damage than usual. The game features 10 selectable wrestlers. Hulk Hogan, The Ultimate Warrior, The Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase, and Big Boss Man make their return from WWF Superstars with Jake the Snake, Roberts, Earthquake, Mr. Perfect, Sergeant Slaughter, Demolition Smash, Demo and Demolition Crush available as new characters, with the Legion of Doom, Hawk, and Animal making an appearance as a non-selectable boss tag team. Each wrestler has their own signature maneuvers. Let's see the reception. Replay reported WWF WrestleFest to be the second most popular arcade game at the time. In Japan, Game Machine listed it on their December 1st, 1991 issue as being the third most popular game arcade game at the time. Yeah, that that's about right. Um, Zero gave the game the 3 out of 5, saying while the graphics were cartoony, the game still, quote, his game does still, quote, manage to project the aggression of life in the ring. <laughs> Interesting quote. Uh, Sinclair user rated the game with an 88 out of a 100, citing the game's variety of characters and high replay value. Computer and video games also gave the game a positive review, describing the gameplay as highly enjoyable. Uh, let's see, follow-up titles, which actually gave me a little bit of news, which I'll get into. But first, uh, THQ released a remake of for the game for the iOS under the title WWE WrestleFest on February 21st, 2012. The remake introduced a roster of, composed of more contemporary WWE stars such as The Undertaker, John Cena, Randy Orton, and, and Rey Mysterio, along with former performers including The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Jake Roberts, and Randy Savage. Uh, in addition to the return of the Saturday Night's main event and Royal Rumble game modes, the remake also featured a standard one-on-one -on -one tag team steel cage match and gauntlet, ma gauntlet match types, along with online multiplayer. The game also included Road to WrestleMania mode, where a player t goes through a series of matches to try and win various WWE titles. A series of downloadable content packs were released for the game, featuring additional wrestlers and arenas. Versions for the PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, and Android were also announced but never released, and that's a shame. <laughs> I think that would have really made this game a lot more popular if they actually were able to uh, release it for those systems, but I think this is right when I think THQ had finally... No, that was like 2016. Never mind. I thought I had something. I thought I had something there. Um... Let's see, in 2019, developer Retrosoft Studios acquired a license from Arc System Works, rights holder to the, of the original arcade game, to dub their upcoming title Retromania Wrestling, the official sequel to WrestleFest. Lacking a WWE license, the title instead features wrestlers from various independent wrestling promotions. Retrosoft also acquired the rights to use characters from Matt Mania, a previous wrestling game developed by Technos Japan. And when I read this little piece of information, I immediately did a search on uh, online, and I found the Retromania Wrestling uh, uh, site, 
on online and they're going to release this game for Steam. Apparently it's coming out on February 21st, a little, little more than three weeks from now. So I am certainly looking forward to this. I'm probably going to end up getting it. Um, everything that I've seen from, you know, the graphics, the still graphics from this game, uh, they really nailed it as far as it being a, um, you know, being a wrestling game that's right along with, you know, in the, in the, uh, genre of WrestleFest and its predecessor, Superstars. And I'm really, really happy about this, and I'm looking forward to getting this. <laughs> I'm gonna f find a way to get a few dollars to be able to pay for this, because, yeah, I am all about this, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> okay, um, so... Any thoughts, comments, you know, if you played Russell Fest back in the day, get a hold of me, arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com, and we can talk about it. So, with that done, let's pivot right into time for some strategy. Okay, time for some strategy. Uh, just like its predecessor, WWF Superstars, this game is about wearing your opponents down as quickly as possible and pinning them, and winning the match. Your wrestler has three stages of attacks, each stage coming when you have inflicted a certain amount of damage on your opponent. The first stage are very basic moves like flying mares and body slams. The second stage are moves that are signatures to each wrestler, like Ted DiBiase's Suplex, The Ultimate Warrior's Pile Driver, Hulk Hogan's Atomic Drop, or Mr. Perfect's Back Suplex or Standing Drop Kick. Uh, when you've gotten your opponent worn down enough, depending on the situation, your wrestler will go for his finishing move, which usually inflicts enough damage to lead your opponent to being hurt enough to be pinned for the 1-2-3. Um, another indicator of this is seeing your opponent lying on the mat at a 45 degree angle. Go for the pin immediately and use your tag team partner to block the opponent's partner from coming in to break up the pin attempt. Uh, the only different match in the series of matches in tag team mode is the steel cage match, which is third in order. It's two normal matches, then you do the steel cage match. Um, now you cannot whip your opponent into the ropes because they will crash into the cage and fall down. Uh, same thing applies. Wear them down quickly and before they start their comeback. The best way to do this is to keep one wrestler in the ring long enough until the partner gets powered up. Then you immediately tag in and then from that point you should be able to inflict enough damage on your opponent to put him in danger of being pinned. And if you do it right, yeah, they won't get up. <laughs> That's for sure. I mean, I have a, I have a, a complete system with a certain tag team, and I'll talk to that. I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, there's one more match that is a little bit harder than the first three. Then it's on to the champions, Animal and Hawk, the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors, my favorite tag team of all time, by the way. <laughs> um. They're very hard to beat in this game because they can dish out a crap ton of punishment and they can take it too. Both of them use power moves to stack up the damage, but you're in, in for a world of hurt if they have your wrestler down and out. If you're fighting Animal in the ring and you're badly hurt, they will set you up for their patented Doomsday Device Double Team Finisher. Animal will grab you, tag in Hawk, then will put he will put you on his shoulders while Hawk climbs the top rope and leaps off of the flying clothesline while Animal flips you over at the same time. When they hit you with this, it's all she wrote because you're just not going to kick out of it. Just get another credit ready because <laughs> they will get the three count for sure. Um, if you have the skill and or credits to beat them, uh, you gain the tag team titles, but your battle has only begun because you have to go through four more matches to beat the game. Then once again, you have to square off against the Legion of Doom, and they're twice as hard to beat this time. So, yeah, I've beaten the game. I think, oh god, how many credits did I use? I think I used like 
three credits. That's the most I've ever, uh, I'm most, that's the least credits I've ever used on this game to beat it. And, you know, the, you know, the tag team mode is fun. Uh, the Royal Rumble mode, that's, it's just like Wikipedia said, you pick one wrestler, and basically you are in the ring with, I think they started off that way, I think they go, uh, complete Royal Rumble rules, so it's you and another wrestler for a certain amount of time, then someone else comes into the ring, and then now you got three wrestlers in the ring, and then, you know, so on and so on. What you want to do is just be able to wear your opponents down enough to where either you can get a pinfall on them or you can toss them over the top rope and eliminate them from the match. Um, playing this mode, I think I beat it on one credit and I got, I think, what was it, 10 eliminations out of 12 wrestlers, which isn't bad. You know, I, you know of course, a perfect game is, you know, 12 wrestlers, or excuse me, 11 wrestlers. Um, because with the Legion of Doom being included in this match, that makes 12 in your... So you would only get 11 uh, eliminations. But yeah, you know, I, you know, the Royal Rumble mode is fine, but I've, I'm a big proponent of the tag team uh, mode for sure. Um, let's see. Uh, let's see if there's... Uh, you got any sort of strategies of your own about this game... By all means, get a hold of me, arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. And lastly, we shall go into Arcade Review. Arcade Review, the Florida Mall Arcade in Orlando, Florida. Okay, uh, quick primer once again. Uh, I rate an arcade on five criteria. Location, selection, ambiance, functionality, and value. Location, fairly self-explanatory. You know, where is it? Is it easy to get to? Um, you know, things like that. Does it have, you know, parking, you know, good parking and stuff like that. Selection. Um, do they have a lot of machines? Do they have a good cross-section cross representing all of the eras of arcade games? You know, and I will rate that because um, there have been places that don't have a lot of machines, but what they, what they have is a good cross-section, you know, all the classics, plus a few from the 90s, a couple from the 2000s, and so forth. It all depends, you know. There are some places that just have a lot of machines, and they get high marks for that, because it's kind of hard not to have a good cross-section when you have, like, 50, 60 machines in a place. You know, things like that. Uh, ambiance. You know, is there music playing over the PA? Um, uh, is there art or pinball back glasses or things like that to kind of draw the eye and help with the immersion of the place? I mean, if you're of my age or older, um, a good arcade will be playing 80s music in the PA, and there'll be art of various types along the place. The arcade in Brighton does this brilliantly, by the way. You know, every time I'm in there and I start playing certain games, I start hearkening back to, you know, when I first played the game, back when it was first released. Um, does the staff, is the staff helpful do they just not sort of care? Are they just there to collect a paycheck? Or do they actually care about any issues you might have? Things like that. Um, let's see. Functionality. Do the machines work? Do they work well? Um, do, do they look kind of beat up? Or are they, you know, just generic cabinets with the game in it? You know, could it be a hack of some sort? Things like that. And, of course, value. Um, does the place run on quarters? Do they run on tokens? Do they have, you know, a gift card, or not gift card, but a credit card sort of thing, like how Dave and Buster's does it? 
or do they have the free play option where you pay one fee and you can stay there as long as you like? I mean, those are the prevalent um, modes of business for arcades these days. So yeah, you take all these, each one of these, uh, each one of these criteria is rated from one to ten with half points coming into play and you add everything up and I average it out by five and you have a total score at the end. Okay, so let's get right on to it. Uh, location, 7.5. Uh, the Florida Mall is on Orange Blossom Trail just south of Sand Lake Road, south side of Orlando. Multiple bus lines come through here at least, I want to say, four bus lines at the time came through there, so there was, you could get there fairly easily. Um, Orange Blossom Trail is one of the main thoroughfares through Orlando, and so, you know, and Sand Lake Road is actually another one. Uh, it wasn't quite as developed back in the 90s as I believe it is now. Um, but there were things being put up along Sand Lake Road, uh, heading eastbound from uh, Orange, Orange Blossom Trail along the way. I used to live fairly close to Sand Lake Road um, at one point when I lived in Orlando, so it was like a, what, 10 or 15 minute bike ride down Sand Lake Road to get over to um, the Florida Mall. And of course, I worked at the Best Buy, which is across the street, across Orange Blossom Trail from the, the Florida Mall, so yeah, I was there often. Um, let's see. Yeah, so this was located um, just south of Sand Lake Road on Orange Blossom Trail. Uh, International Drive was two miles down the road from uh, this location, and a lot of tourists would come into this area because there were, aside from the mall, there were a lot of standalone uh, stores like uh, the Best Buy that I worked at and other places, and we would have tourists from around the world coming in to you know buy things, which was kind of cool. Um, I call this area, you know, the area over Sand Lake Road and International Drive, which is like another two miles down the road from Orange Blossom Trail. I call that tourist hell because, yeah, that's where a lot of the tourists would stay and a lot of the hotels over there. And, of course, there were attractions over there. They had Wet n Wild and other places for, you know, tourists to go to. And, of course, there was the McDonald's that I've mentioned previously um, right on Sand Lake Road that had an arcade, uh, a car, an arcade room in it, and then there was another arcade in, uh, somewhere, um, on, inter somewhere between, somewhere around, uh, International Drive and, uh, Sand Lake Road. I can't remember exactly because I only went there twice, um, and I can't, I couldn't remember enough about it to, to do more than mention it here in passing. So yeah, I give it a 7.5 because yeah, it's very easy to get to. Uh, selection, 7.0. Uh, the arcade in Florida Mall was was a relatively small place. Uh, machines lined the walls, but the cross-section was really good. I think they had like, I want to say 25 to 30 machines, but they had a really good cross-section. All of the areas, oh, excuse me, the eras of... You know the you know all the arcade eras were um, rep well represented, and they would get good new games fairly uh, fairly um, frequently. Um, this is where I really uh, discovered an NBA GM uh, tournament edition, and you know I enjoyed playing that game. It was so, it was a market improvement over uh, the original NBA GM, but yeah, that's where I did it. Um, let's see, ambiance, 6.5. Uh, there, there was some video game art on the walls, you know, around the machines, and I think they had some music playing through the speakers. I think it was like a local pop station, if I remember right. I mean, not too bad, but not great. I'll give it slightly above average marks, because at least they tried. Um, functionality, 7.5. Uh, the machines there, were, they were always in good to excellent condition and if a machine went down it got fixed pretty quickly it wasn't down for more than I would say probably like three weeks if I remember right um, you know so yeah that gives them 
uh, above average marks for sure. And value, I give that a straight five because it ran on quarters. Um, there were no, you know, because they didn't run on tokens, there were no specials or anything like that. That was the one good thing about, you know, places like the Fun Machine. They ran on tokens, and they did give you a little bit more for your money, rather than just giving you four tokens for a dollar. You know, that's why places like the Fun Machine get higher marks for value. So, yeah, strictly average marks here. Uh, you add that up, and you, and you average it out, and it, the total score is 6.7. Um, this arcade was a good start to uh, a run, especially if my roommate and I were both either getting off of work because we both worked in this area in the mid-90s, or if we were starting a run here and heading over to the Fun Machine in Pine Hills, or maybe going up to Fashion Square Mall to wrap it up. Um, it was more or less a typical mall arcade, and its small size and its use of quarters keeps me from rating it higher. Um, they always had a lot of business as locals and tourists alike would come in to play the games, and it was always jumping because of that. You know, it was a pretty decent arcade. It really was. I mean, it wasn't great, wasn't fantastic, but it was certainly pretty decent. You know, it makes me wonder if uh, they still have an arcade in that mall, because I think the Florida Mall is still there and still operating. I know that when the last time I was in Orlando, which unfortunately was, what, 11 years ago, um, Fashion Square Mall was still doing business, but, you know, with the way things are, especially with the rise of Amazon and Walmart and stuff, the, you know, typical shopping mall is a dying breed, unfortunately, and that's just sad, <laughs> you know, especially considering how much the shopping mall impacted my life. <laughs> as I talked about in, you know, uh, in the previous segment. But anyway, um, so yeah, I give it a 6.7. Good, but not great. All right, so if you lived in the Orlando area, you went to this mall, hey, get a hold of me. Tell me what you remember of it, because I'd love to hear from you about it. ArcadeAddictBrian at gmail.com. Okay, and that's it for episode 35. I'm only moderately mortified and embarrassed, so I guess it wasn't that bad after all. So let's see, moving on to episode 36, let's see what we got going on here. I've got a top 10s, I have a do-do-do-do-do, I've got uh, an arcade rundown, as a matter of fact, that I actually have to type out. Ooh, I've been remiss, I better get on the stick here. Uh, and, of course, I've got uh, Home Systems. Uh, and also, I've got a uh, an episode of The Silver Ball, talking about a, another pinball machine I grew up with. So, looking right ahead to it, and I'm looking forward to doing this for you. So, until next time, this is Brian saying, have fun out there when you can, good gaming, be safe, be smart, things will get better, don't believe the hype, don't believe the naysayers, it's going to get better. Just hang in there. Au revoir. This has been the Confessions of an Arcade Attic podcast. All music has been provided by Kevin McLeod. You can find his music at incompetech.com. You can contact the show by email at arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com, or you can call and leave a voicemail at 734-743-2433. Until next time, you have been listening to the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. See you then.